When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on calling a newlywed by her new last name, how to have conversations about genealogy without bragging, addressing families with multiple last names, as well as addressing parents versus babies with gifts, and a question about bringing your baby to a baby shower. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, our question of the week is about how to be a friend and not a customer when friends are involved in multi-level marketing. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on family gossip. And yes, that comes directly from We Don't Talk About Bruno. No, no, no. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. So the first month of the year is definitely gone by, and we're about halfway through the second month, even though this is airing Shh, in the third month of the year. <laughs> but it uh, it has felt like such a different year already at the Emily Post Institute, and certainly, yeah. you know, last year felt different. Second year of pandemic, certainly twenty twenty felt different because everyone was you know thrown into cha- a chaotic world. But we spent last year really having to put off a lot of our our normal daily tasks, even things like social media we got very quiet on. And it was all in in service of the 20th edition that whether it was writing it or it was doing all the variations on the editing, that really, with its deadlines and its importance, it really came first in so many ways. And I have found myself as I've been working, and and I can tell this to our whole audience because I've already told it to you, (laughs) that it just feels like such different work when you're coming in and there's a both an endlessness to it and it's more scattered than something that's a big project that has very specific deadlines. And so it's been such a mental shift how we choose to work together, what we choose to prioritize and work on. Um, and I'm finding it both great and hard <laughs> at the same time. Oh, I feel you in so many ways. I, I, <laughs> I'm you? reminded, yeah, no, of the <laughs> the meeting we had right at the very start of the year. And mm-hmm. we were looking at 2022 and saying, you know, this book is going to launch. It's going to be available in the fall. Mm-hmm. Let's make a plan. Let's talk about this year and what it might look like. Let's start to fill it in a little bit mm-hmm. with some of our intentions. This is, again, early January. And <laughs> 
that meeting went on for hours between you and I. I think we had some fun with it. Was it was a full day. And <laughs> full day full day meeting, my favorite the, kind. The document that was the meeting notes was many pages long and mm-hmm. It was really helpful for me in that moment where, as you said, we didn't have a particular project in front of us, but a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. Six weeks in, I'm finding that enough of that work has happened that the -hmm. projects are starting to form up in front of me for the rest of the year. (laughs) Organization works, people. It works. (laughs) It's not just that one book launch event in the fall, but there's a a whole – There's a myriad other smaller events and deadlines that have started to emerge over the course of the year that a lot of them will support that big book launch. But I'm starting to feel like that direction is emerging from the work. So Mm -hmm. I I, I feel what you're talking about. And I also feel myself also starting to get drawn back into some of those channels that are really defined by a project with a deadline. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a little baby that's going to arrive and that's going to focus you were still on baby watch for you. I had a moment last Friday where um, you and I couldn't get in touch with each other. And, and there were a bunch of different reasons for that. But in my mind, I was wondering, I was like, oh, did it start? Did maybe someone have to make a trip to the <laughs> to the hospital? Like, is something going on? Um, not the case yet. But um, but no, it's excited, exciting being on, on baby watch as well. But it is... Um, it's it's a different type of work this year and and whether it's you know getting our our podcast queued up for your for your paternity leave and Chris's long vacation or it's um you know figuring out how we are going to celebrate this big wonderful beautiful book that's going to come out in a little bit um it's certainly been interesting being in the different areas of Emily Post again and and really kind of working that daily grind. And speaking of the daily work here at Emily Post, we have some questions to get to. (laughs) We have. Should we get to answering some? Let's do it. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled, Call Me By My Name. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I recently got legally married and decided to take my husband's last name. The only place I decided to present with my maiden name is with my name on Facebook. The main reason I kept my maiden name here is because I am a psychologist and I wanted to stay searchable for friends but prevent my clients from potentially attempting to contact me through Facebook. My clients don't know my maiden name. However, a lot of my family and friends have sent me holiday cards this year with my maiden name on it, but I would prefer they use my married name. I understand that they are probably assuming I kept my maiden name since that's what they see on Facebook, so I will usually thank them for the card and tell them my new last name. I'm wondering, is there a better way for me to explain my last name change? Or... Is having my maiden name on Facebook too confusing, and would it be better for me to change it to my married name? Now that I'm writing this, I realize that some family members may not even know that I am married. I only got legally married and had an extremely small quote-unquote ceremony. We went to a state park and only six people were present. Is there a way other than my Facebook relationship status that I can share the news with them? From Call Me By My Name. Call me by my name. Thank you so much for the question. There are a lot of ins and outs to this one. I kept wanting to put it in a certain category of question in my mind. Oh, this is a that kind of question. And then I was like, no, no, it's kind of the reverse of that one. Or And like, there's this other complicating factor that's coming in. I wanted to start off with a really simple piece of advice, which is okay. about the broad etiquette around the names that we choose to use and how we present them to the world. Okay. And – the question is, is there anything wrong or is there a problem with using my maiden name on Facebook? Does that create an etiquette dissonance somehow? Conundrum, and yeah. <laughs> my answer to that is is not a general answer that there is an, a, a rule of etiquette that can guide us, but kind of a personal rule of etiquette, which is that if you don't mind answering any questions that come up and you get benefit from it in that you're recognizable and searchable and findable, to people who you want to be recognizable, searchable, and findable to, that there's nothing wrong with that. And as long as you're prepared to answer the questions that come up to give direction about what you like to be called in different areas of your life, mm -hmm. and that is something that a lot of people have to negotiate. It's not an uncommon situation at all for someone to use different names in different capacities and even for those names to shift over time as people become more or less comfortable with names that they're using in different ways. Mm -hmm. So it's not even something that will necessarily surprise people to hear if 
you do find yourself in a position of giving some direction at some point, maybe to an old friend that, no, your your married name is now this socially, and when they send cards, they can use that name. Mm-hmm. And that would be a, a relatively low cost in my mind to getting mm-hmm. the benefit of still being searchable by that maiden name that that you like to use for a number of reasons. And not searchable by the married name that your clients may know. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. The other part of that one. Because I'm thinking that one of our most traditional pieces of etiquette would be so incredibly useful here. And that's a wedding announcement. Uh-huh. And, it, and and your wedding, especially having been a really small wedding, is often the perfect kind of what, first of all, all weddings are perfect weddings to send a wedding announcement for. But especially small weddings, especially weddings that happen during the pandemic, these are weddings that, that can kind of get lost among the shuffle of news and things happening and also with our sort of distorted sense of time, that sort of thing. And especially if you haven't announced it on Facebook or something like that, a social media network, send out a paper announcement to your friends and relatives is a fabulous way to let them see that you are now married and that this is your married name. You could even handwrite a little note on it that says, you know, just so no one's shocked, you'll still see my name appear as this on my Facebook account or something like that. And I think the announcement is probably good enough to get you there and to get people seeing that. And then they just notice that your Facebook account still has your maiden name. But if you wanted to just make it clear to anyone who either might not be picking up the hint or who might not be as familiar at thinking about Facebook as a place you don't always update everything, giving them that reasoning could help uh, alleviate any confusion when they're seeing the announcement with one name and your Facebook account with the other. But that was my my solution. And the announcement, of course, is something that gets sent after a wedding. And it, it states the couple's name and the date that they were married and where they were married. And it's it's really easy and kind of a fun one to put out there, frankly. I, I mean, I haven't done it, but I, I'm assuming that for those who have chosen to, that it's a really satisfying thing to send out. I know it's very satisfying to receive them. I really appreciate receiving a, a mailed out wedding announcement. I think it's a wonderful keepsake. It definitely decorates my fridge and makes me feel like that life is moving on, you know, around me. It's still happening out there in the world. <laughs> Lizzie Post, I was so wrong. And you are so right. There is an etiquette answer to this question. The wedding announcement is so perfect. Totally. It really is. With what you stated, I wouldn't put it that way. <laughs> no, but I, I but it's it, it it it's 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 the purpose of a wedding announcement, and yeah, and, it's, totally. and it's not the purpose. The purpose is that feeling that you're talking about, really, that sharing mm-hmm. of that good news. But it's so functional as well. It really does it serve to give people a lot of information that's nice to share for all kinds of reasons. Call me by my name. Congratulations on your recent wedding. We hope that you are loving married life and that our advice can help you figure out a little bit of how to handle your name change. Good manners, social graces, etiquette, call it what you will, all are based on consideration for others. Being kind to the other fellow in the little things of life as well as the big things. Our next question wonders, genealogy? How far is too far? Hi, I have an interesting etiquette question for situations when discussing genealogy and distant relatives. 
Do you know of any sort of guideline or opinion of an etiquette expert when it comes to discussing distant relatives, especially cousinship and distant progenitors that are not of the same surname as your mother or father? For example, my seventh cousin, six times removed, is Abraham Lincoln. When I found this out and some other things like this, it was I felt like I won the lottery. But when I told this to some of my relatives and friends, the reaction I received was, why are you being so absurd? Seventh cousin, six time removed. To them, it was so distant that I might as well have said I was related to Buzz Lightyear from the Toy Story <laughs> movies. And then they say other things like, well, if you go far enough back, everybody is related. Another example would be like discussing a third great-grandmother, but then go on about a few generations back from her to a great-grandmother, not grandfather, and then branch off from them a few generations to another great-grandmother, and so on and so forth. The resulting relative is often, to say the least, many, many surnames away from the third great-grandmother, and even more so from my surname though they are also my great-grandparents as well, mm -hmm. and is technically called direct descent. It can end up sounding a bit indirect. Mm -hmm. What do you think is a good way to not get so carried away and therefore sound absurd when talking about such family members? Should I stick to my progenitors of my surname, of father and mother, and then maybe only their children, i.e. great-aunts and uncles, and maybe a first or second cousin here and there? Thanks. Anonymous, this is a great it's a great question and it's interesting because it's not asking about the specifics of the genealogy itself, which is genealogical, not etiquetical, <laughs> not not really under etiquette. Etiquetical. Etiquetical. <laughs> um, but it is the it is thinking about conversation and how conversation comes across and I could see how some people might think even removing the word absurd, but just thinking like you're trying to name drop or get close to very famous, very distant relatives, you know, things like that. And it, it, it falls kind of under this idea of conversation and, and what is good etiquette in conversation. And cousin Daniel, I can't, I, for me, I don't see a big problem with talking about some interesting things way back in your genealogical web. You know what I mean? I think it's interesting. And I think as long as you're categorizing it as, you know, it's, it's, crazy distant or it's really far distant from me but seventh cousin six times removed was abraham lincoln and when i found that out i felt like i won the lottery i think taking the ones that are further out but maybe more interesting people or even just people of note to connect to in your in your family's history saying that for you you understand it's really distant but it was so meaningful for you to find that out I feel like that kind of an approach could get you some better results from other people because they're going to hear more context around why you're bringing it up other than just the, the, the quote unquote, you know, like famous connection or something like that. I agree, Lizzie Post. I think that it has so much to do with the particular tone and approach that you're taking to that information and how you share it and that owning your excitement as opposed to expecting or anticipating that other people will share it is i think the right way to think about this and is a good piece of advice generally when thinking about conversation etiquette and getting excited about anything that we're passionate about i think i sort of jokingly referred 
to this at one point with you as a nerd dilemma when <laughs> you're really into something and you just really like it and it's so cool and you just want to share that with other people and I, I i run into this my my wife is really generous with me and how she gives me her <laughs> attention when i get really excited about things and I also recognize that it's a real gift that I get from her that that not everybody wants to go down every interest and enthusiasm that I have with me in terms of exploring all of the details that that I connect with personally in this way or that way. Dan, I think that's a really good second point to bring up here is that this isn't just about how you present it, but it's a really there's a good lesson in here about how to react to these kind of things. When someone's talking about a familial connection, no matter how distant it might be, th this is them discovering something about their lineage, their past, their history. And it's not something that I would immediately put down. And I think that's that's an important thing to think about when people start talking about their families, is that you don't want your first thought to be one that really undercuts something that someone else is bringing up as a real positive or something very interesting in their lives. You know, I can think in my own life of, of being really excited when I found out about our ancestor who laid the transatlantic cable. And I had a friend who immediately like assumed a lot of negative things about how that cable was probably laid. And I'll admit that while I, I wanted to discover more about what she was saying, I also my pride was hurt in that moment that it was it was hit hard. You know, I, I thought I had something kind of exciting and interesting there. And it just was like just such a clear bubble burst in the moment. And it, it made the conversation in that moment really awkward. It was like, ooh, I don't, I don't know how to move forward from that. So I think you do want to be delicate to when someone is telling you about a connection in their family to immediately be dismissive. Like, I'm, I'm sad for our listener that people called this connection absurd. Like, it's not absurd. It's, there are tons of people doing, you know, 23andMe genealogical trees out there and learning interesting things. It's like a, a, a service being sold to us right now. Um, I think there's, there's, there's some good interest in there to, to be had when someone starts talking about this kind of stuff. I made a little note to myself around this question that was mm -hmm. just a reminder to ask myself, what is family and how do we define right? our families? And you're talking about a particular moment where all of a sudden we have tools at our disposal that allow us to track mm -hmm. genealogies or get genetic information, however accurate it may or may not be. But mm -hmm. I think it's expanding the ways people think about who they're related to, how we're all connected and it could be something that's very interesting. It could feel like an awful lot. And I like your focus on thinking about how you receive that information. And I was also thinking about how we share information about our families, that mm -hmm. if it's something that feels very close and very personal to you or something that you connect with in a really personal way, maybe it's something that that you share either in that way so that people know to take care with it, or it might be something that you decide you treat as a as something more private. As something that's about like family yeah. and that if it's something mm -hmm. that you feel very closely about, then maybe it's not something you're sharing at work with the coworker in the same way you might not share information that your spouse shares with you the night before. And and not because it's a big secret, but just because that, that comes from a different part of your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All kinds of interesting etiquette questions start to emerge. I was also thinking to myself about 
preparing myself mentally with some of the math <laughs> that we're all familiar with Kevin Bacon and the idea of seven degrees of separation that you can find human connections that'll link you to anybody on the planet with seven degrees of separation. And in reality, it's oftentimes much less than that. And that that awareness gives some context for how you share information about connections being special or not. So mm -hmm. it can be really exciting to discover a particular connection. And at the same time, the recognition that anybody could do that with enough information and enough interest <laughs> might affect the way you shared that as a particularly unique the way you thing. present it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. Absolutely. A, a lot of this does come down to the tone and, and the how of how you're choosing to share this particular information. But I do think that that phrasing it and taking the the ownership of your excitement about it or your fascination with it is a great way to help guide people away from that space that makes them think, "Oh my gosh, this connection is just so distant. Why are we even discussing it?" You know, that that absurd tone that seems to be coming back at you. I do think just that positive ownership of the exploration could probably take you pretty far in the conversation. Anonymous, thank you so much for the question. From a couple of great great grandkids to another interested descendant, we wish you the best dealing with this issue. Abraham Lincoln said, A house divided against itself cannot stand. Let us too keep the faith. Let us break bread together. Our next question is titled, To Whom Are We Sending? Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I love the podcast and am a regular listener. I've got two quick questions for the podcast that I hope you can address. Number one, my daughter-in-law has kept her maiden name. My two grandchildren have my son's name. So how do I address packages to them and respect everybody's last names? Do I address it John Smith on one line, Mary Jones on the second line, and then Will Smith followed by... on the Will Smith on the next line, followed by Ben Smith on the following line. So sort of stacking all four names on top of each other. Our writer continues, seems odd, but to the Smith slash Jones family doesn't seem right either. What is the correct way? My second question is that new baby cards seem to be directed to the parents. But if I include a gift, is it really for the baby? How do I address the package and card when one is for the parents and the other's for the baby? Many thanks in advance for your assistance. I know you're both the right people to provide the right answer. Joyce. Oh, I like that confidence. Thank you, Joyce. <laughs> Joyce, thanks so much for the question. We'll do our best to provide a little bit of clarity here. The best way to get that clarity is to ask your son and daughter-in-law. And that will remove all ambiguity. How would you like me to address cards that I send to the whole family? And mm -hmm. they'll let you know. If it's something they haven't thought about a lot, you could have a couple of options in your pocket. Or if you wanted to suggest some to open up the discussion, mm -hmm. you could use the slash. It could be to something like the Smith-Jones family or mm -hmm. a little more formally if the slash feels a little sort of truncated either Ori to you, the Smith and Jones family is another mm -hmm. option. When you get into the card, you can go to first names and yeah. to John, Mary, Will, and Ben could be your, your opening line or dear or greetings. But for the address, Smith, 
family is something that some people will also use just as a, a default figuring three out of four for social context. We'll just go with totally. one name. That might be the answer that you get as well when Mary isn't being addressed by herself. Absolutely. And I like the idea, Dan, of asking them first just before assuming that you could do something like the Smith family or the Smiths or something like that. I think asking first is, is always an awesome, awesome idea. You could also do a form that we've seen plenty of times, which is to have, let's say, Mary Jones and John Smith all all written out just like that. Mary Jones, the word and, and then John Smith all on one line. And then the line below would have each of the kids' names on its own line. So there would then be Will Smith, Ben Smith, and then you would follow with the address on the next line after Ben Smith. So just another option that you could do. Sometimes if you have to fill out a form, there's not enough room to do something like that. But when you're handwriting a card or, you know, shipping a package yourself, you're able to, to write that out that way. But I do come back to Dan's got the right answer here of ask first, and that'll be the best way to get an answer that works for the family. And it could it could make your job way easier than the Smith and Jones family. <laughs> so let's complicate things just a little further. And let's assume <laughs> that we're sending something to the same household. But now we have to identify who the gift is for and who the card is to. <laughs> totally. I think the practicality is the – the side of the etiquette that I'm going to lean on here and the address on the outside, you want to be sure it gets to the right people and the baby is not going to receive the package. The baby does not own the house, even though it's mm-hmm. to the baby. I would and the address, baby lives there. <laughs> yes. I would address the package to the parents opening on behalf of, and then uh, the card that comes with the gift that identifies who the gift's for and that allows you to express yourself and write a little note that goes along with it is the great place to address the baby directly. Or I guess I should say identify or speak to the baby because the address <laughs> is on the outside of the package. And we sort of dealt with this question recently, but it really is okay to have, you know, the gift to the baby and the card to the parents or even send everything to the parents, but the, the card is to the baby and the gift is very ob- like, you know, a little onesie is very obviously for the baby. <laughs> I can understand how some folks would would feel a little bit of awkwardness between all of that. But in reality, any gift for the baby is also a gift for the parents because it's helping them out. It's getting them set up, whether that's one less onesie they have to buy or it's, you know, one one less other item. I don't know. But Dan, you know these lists of things. You're about to have a third one. <laughs> But I think it's it's really all three or the whole family is is kind of in a lot of ways a, a part of this, even if the baby's going to be the one wearing the onesie or something like that, you know. Joyce, it sounds like there's a lot of good things going on in your family right now, and we certainly hope that our answer helps you to be able to send and continue to send your son and his family wonderful gifts and surprises and cards in the mail. All right. You might as well write it together. Here. Oh, good. You know, I think writing letters is going to be a lot of fun. Our next question is about a baby on board. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Please forgive me if this question's been covered before. What is the proper etiquette for guests bringing babies to baby showers? Of course, if my baby's name is included on the invitation, I know I'm welcome to bring her. But what if the invitation is only addressed to me? 
In the past, I have contacted the host with my reply and said something like, thank you for the invitation to Lee's shower. I would be honored to attend. Would it be all right or appropriate to bring my baby along or should I make other plans for her? She's so-and-so X number of months old. The hosts have always said yes. Of course, that is just fine. But sometimes I wonder if it was rude to ask. If the invitation is only addressed to me, does that indicate that the mom-to-be would prefer no babies attend her shower? Or is it often more of an oversight? I like to bring my baby along when I can, but I'm certainly fine to leave her home with my partner if that is preferred. I did not get to have a traditional baby shower due to COVID-19, but had I been able to, I would have wanted guests to bring their babies and children with them if they desired. When I do bring my baby along, I am extremely conscientious and always step out of the room if she starts to cry, etc. I am always made to feel very welcome, and it seems to me that people respond very favorably and enjoy seeing another baby at this type of event. Lastly, because of COVID-19, these showers for friends and family are often the first time I have seen old acquaintances and friends in quite some time. Given the circumstances, it feels like a nice opportunity for me to introduce my child to people in my life. However, the last thing I want is to be rude. So I am hoping you can weigh in with your expertise. Thanks for your help, Christina. Christina, thank you so much for your question. And I think that I think for the most part, the way you handle this is great, that that asking and double checking is really the way to go. Not every baby shower is going to include babies and older kids. And we have seen and also heard from a lot of people that sometimes those kids can end up being enough of a distraction at the party that it doesn't feel like the party is about the mom to be anymore. And it's really important for us to remember in the case of a shower, especially that we are really focused on the honoree. And the honoree may may say, the more the merrier, I want tons of kids, just have that same perspective, Christina, that you did of like, I think this would be great. But we want to leave room for folks who don't want to see that attention. And I want to say this, not not in any way putting on that if you're someone who wants to be the honoree of your party and and have that attention and focus on you, that is not a greedy thing or a bad thing. This party is literally being thrown specifically for that purpose. And so I think it's important to recognize that it's okay if you don't want as much of that distraction to have and host a shower that is kid-free or that isn't one where babies are being invited. But that's also why, Christina, I think it's really important when you receive the invitations that don't have your child listed as being welcome or don't say something like babies and toddlers welcome, that sort of thing, that you make the decision either to just leave your child at home with your partner, as you say, you're totally fine doing that, or you might inquire. And I can understand how it might feel rude to inquire because, Dan, it's a pretty classic piece of host guest etiquette that you don't like ask to bring extra guests and your yep. baby would be an extra guest. Um, but I also think it's so common at these types of parties for kids to be invited that it's, it's, I, I don't think it would be out of the realm of polite to ask. What do you think, Dan? It's so funny. It's right on the border. And yeah. I, the, the way that Christina presents her ask 
is yes. the good advice that you tell the per you give the person the out, you make the yeah. ask, and because it is such a borderline ask, that you do it in such a way that it's easy for them to say no. In fact, you 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 hand them the avenue. If not, it's easy. I can leave them with my partner. I can we can arrange something and and you communicate that in a way that they feel that it's really no cost to them whether to they say, say no. yes or no and yeah. i think that's the price of admission for making that borderline ask and i'm seeing that awareness in the way christina presents it and mm -hmm. i don't want to say no you don't ask that because it's rude because there are a lot of cases where it would be lovely if you could bring your baby we'd love to see her everyone would love to meet her it would add a whole new flavor and tone to the event that would be lovely I am so reminded as I was listening to you talking of something I heard early on in my work in theater, and that was the advice to never share the stage with children or animals. <laughs> and it's because you cannot win. There's no way. This, the second they enter the stage, everyone's eye goes there. It's the thing to watch. And it happens if a bird gets into the theater and gets on stage or if there's a particularly cute child in the production. And – just having an awareness that that's a reality and that mm -hmm. however cute, adorable, interesting they are, they are also potentially a distraction. They are definitely competition for people's attention and mm -hmm. being aware that you're at a party that's about a guest of honor and about focusing on a guest of honor often is mm -hmm. the other avenue that I was really keying on here and inquiring about the nature of the shower. Because like you, the last shower that I went to was a Jack and Jill family affair. Mm -hmm. where everybody was encouraged to bring their families and it was it was essentially a party with a shower happening within it <laughs> and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no harm no foul but i think getting a sense for the nature of the party and and what the expectations of the guest of honor are from the host is a good place to start that gentle ask i, I think you're probably in pretty good shape dan i think the last thing i want to encourage christina to do is actually to throw her own belated sip and see because that ah, feeling, yes. of, yeah, because like that feeling of I had my baby during the pandemic and we really haven't been able to do this. Once it's safe, once you feel comfortable enough to, to invite people over, I would do that because I think, as you say, I feel like I missed out on this. And then what you don't then want to do is use someone else's party as a way to satisfy that because that is kind of like – Coming in and and even though I, Christina, I don't think you would do this in a rude way in any way, shape or form, but it has the potential to be you leaning on someone else's party to satisfy that getting to know your daughter and getting your daughter to know everyone or kind of to, to show what's been happening in your life recently. And I think a much better way to do that and to feel satisfied in that zone would be to host your own party for people to come and meet your daughter. And that would be perfectly okay. There's no expectation of gifts in it, although some people will probably bring them because people get so excited about little kids and gifts. You just can't help it. Um, I know I do. Mm -hmm. um, but I think throwing your own party for people to come meet your daughter when you feel like it's safe to do so would be a really great thing to do. Hear, hear. Christina, thank you so much for the question. We hope that our answer helps and that you look forward to many events like this in the future. 
you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can find us on social media. On Twitter, we're at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're awesome etiquette. Just use the hashtag awesome etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we have feedback from Baby Steps, who was concerned about sending gifts to a distanced sibling. And we also have feedback from Nina on inviting a wedding photographer to dinner. Dan, you want to take our first set of feedback? Dear Lizzie and Dan, a few months ago, I wrote to you about my late brother's daughter who would cut off my siblings and me. Every Christmas, I would send her young daughter's gifts only to have them remain unacknowledged. This year, taking your advice, I again found age-appropriate books on animals and the alphabet and sent them. I included a little note that basically said, Hi there, Merry Christmas, and I hope the kids enjoy these. Please let me know if these arrive safely. I was quite surprised and pleased when I received an email after Christmas. I had no idea she still had my email address. It was very short, but said thank you. And then she included a few sentences about how each of the children enjoyed the books. I immediately responded with, that's great. I hope you all stay safe throughout the year, etc. I never heard back, but it was something. Thank you. Baby Steps. Oh, I love that baby steps. And pardon me, it was a it was a, a niece aunt situation, not a not a sibling situation. But I just I I love the fact that you got something this year. And I, I hope it I hope it continues to build just a little little bit. Baby steps. Yeah, you got it, cuz baby steps. <laughs> Our next piece of feedback from Nana begins, I'm a fan of your podcast since forever. May I add a professional perspective to the question about inviting the photographer to the post-half elopement meal? I like that. (laughs) I'm a musician, a pianist, and organist, and I play for a lot of weddings and funerals. Ask yourself, will you be comfortable sitting around a table and having a conversation with the photographer that doesn't relate to your event? My thoughts. When I'm around the celebrating family and guests, I am quote unquote on duty. I keep the conversation about them and find tactful, flattering things to say about their choices. Families often invite me to join their celebration of life reception after a funeral. I thank them for the invitation, but never attend. It always feels like they simply want as many people there as possible to reinforce the reach of the deceased. Plus, everyone else will be united by their reminiscence of someone whose name I'd never heard until the eulogy. Similarly, I have also been invited to wedding rehearsal dinners. I turn those down, too. People want to reconnect with their friends around the wedding, and I would feel like the booby prize to anyone who got stuck sitting with me. I can certainly hold a lovely and entertaining conversation with a stranger, but that's not why people are at the rehearsal dinner. 
I love getting a quote unquote vendor meal at a wedding. It's always something light and pleasant that looks better to me and works better logistically than the congealing chicken with the white glop that the seated guests are looking at. Still grateful for the wonderful strawberry spinach salad I was given behind the scenes at a wedding five years ago. That is one memorable strawberry spinach salad. I would feel very awkward thinking that someone had invited me to a meal instead of a tip. A gift card for later meal is better, though I would hope it could cover a meal for two so that it's not obliging the recipient to spend more money in order to use it. If you truly want to get to know your photographer and you see this restaurant meal as an opportunity for mutually delightful conversation and you think the photographer will see it that way too, then yes, do invite them. These are my opinions. I am sure other ceremony-adjacent professionals will have their own opinions, too. Yours, Nina. Nina, thank you for the feedback. I appreciate your frank honesty in terms of your perspective as a professional working in these situations. And Lizzie and I, I think, had a, a hint of this kind of feeling in our answer, and it's nice to have it confirmed by someone who's working in that space. Thank you so much for the feedback. We love hearing perspectives from our audience about the answers that we give, and we particularly love getting those updates. So please do keep them coming. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or an update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text message at 802 858 KIND. That's 802 858 5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about that thing that none of us are supposed to be talking about right now. That thing we don't talk about. We're going to talk about not talking about Bruno. Dan, this is your Postscript segment. I am along for the ride on this one. I still haven't seen Encanto. What is going on in the world today? <laughs> so I wouldn't know, except I have a two-and-a-half-year-old who's the coolest person in the family. And she really is, just so you know. Aria wins. <laughs> she, she, she keeps me up. She keeps me relevant. You know what I'm saying? She keeps yeah, me yeah. On, on the tip of the edge of the second, as a friend of mine <laughs> used to say. Um. We had a family movie night a, a while ago where we watched the new Disney movie Encanto, and it was a usual family movie night for us. We're making popcorn and running around. I probably watched a, a quarter or a third of the movie. <clears throat> Didn't make a big impression on me, but a couple days later, Aria was humming the tunes from it, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. she even – in in one watching, picked up some of the words, some of the mm -hmm. hooks and choruses from some of the songs. And uh, we don't talk about Bruno, no, 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 was no. just coming out of her as she was, you know, <laughs> princess dressing her way around the kitchen. And sure enough, I caught a headline a couple of weeks later about how that song had climbed the Billboard charts. And <laughs> it ended up topping out as the number one song in the country and the most popular and widest reaching Disney song in 30 years. Getting close to Aladdin, right? Like the whole new world one or something. Absolutely. Yeah. And so 
it's now been playing on our kitchen Alexa pretty much nonstop for the last couple of weeks. We listen to a lot of the Encanto soundtrack, and we don't talk about Bruno. It's the big hit song from it. The music is all done by Lin Manuel Miranda for mm-hmm. those fans of musical theater out there, and it's incredible music. the The music sounds a lot like uh, musical theater as opposed mm-hmm. to sort of traditional Disney lyrically driven ballads mm-hmm. a lot of the the music are ensemble pieces where the whole cast is singing and different characters sing in character essentially mm-hmm. so we don't talk about bruno was the surprise breakout hit that my two and a half year old heard and caught the hit nature of before anyone else <laughs> in the house and i wanted to talk about we don't talk about bruno with the awesome etiquette audience because it's a song about family gossip yeah. and It's such a fun song in that it begins with, we don't talk about Bruno, but, and then each verse, they hand the song around to different members of the family that give their version of the Bruno story to an interested young family member who's trying to figure out how her family works, how it all fits together. What are the dynamics? How do all these people in a big multi-generational family relate to each other and interact? Mm -hmm. And there's a missing piece, a family member that people don't talk about. So that's the mystery. And she's trying to figure it out. And as she gets the tales from different family members about Bruno, your perspective on who he is shifts and you start to realize that no one really knows and that everyone's just telling stories and wait, there's a lot of (laughs) gossip going on here. And for somebody that we don't talk about, everyone seems to have an opinion that they want to share. Wait, and aren't like a lot of the things like really basic things like like it'll rain on your wedding day and it does or something like that, you know, like things that could happen even if someone wasn't predicting them. (laughs) Yes, without getting into spoilers and big reveals, there's there's some question about Bruno and his relationship to the future. Does he cast spells? Does he prophesize? Does he bring good or bad luck? And is depending it the luck, on is it you, you know, like what's going on? <laughs> depending on the nature of the vision that Bruno has about your future, you might feel differently about the nature of his prophesizing. Right, 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 right. I think one of the reasons that the song is so relatable is that there are so many recognizable human characters and there are mm-hmm. also so many really recognizable human emotions. The the fundamentals of how families interact and the dynamics of sibling relationships, cousin relationships, uncle, aunt, parent, child relationships are are so similar no matter what context they happen in. And aren't a lot of the things just things that might have happened anyway? Like they're not even really necessarily driven by Bruno. <laughs> like So Lizzie Post, you know a little more about this than you're letting on. Because the Listen particular, to the song once. The particular the song thing once. about Bruno is that he prophesizes people's futures. Yeah. And there there is some question as to whether his prophecies create that future or give it direction or whether <laughs> by not hearing his prophecy you could avoid that particular future. But that's the thing that sort of spooks people in the family. Yeah. What I think is really so universally appealing about the the song is that it's it's about how we talk about the things we don't talk about, how families <laughs> gossip, how we share the news that needs to be shared, but that we're not supposed to. Or... We don't talk about Bruno, but we'll all tell you our stories about what happened with Bruno. <laughs> oh, will we ever? And it'll be so much fun. And I was thinking about how much of the business etiquette program about communication deals with gossip, a surprisingly large percentage of oh, yeah. 
our business etiquette communication deck deals with how to address gossip that isn't functioning well in the workplace because it's one of the most destructive things that can happen. And I can imagine in families it can be similar. But as this particular song points out, there's also some real damage that happens when there's too much silence, when we're not able to speak about or address certain things. Yeah. And – I wanted to bring it up as a postscript today, both because if you are like my cousin Lizzie and no one has pointed you yet at We Don't Talk About Bruno, and if I didn't have a two and a half year old in my life, nobody would have. Do yourself a favor. Give the music from Encanto a try. But in terms of etiquette points, I was thinking within our social lives that holding ourselves accountable in the same way that we would hold ourselves accountable professionally to the ways we share information and the ways we talk about people when they're not present Mm -hmm. can, can be hugely important. And that if we have some skills for sharing information and talking with each other about things that are difficult, that work it can facilitate conversations that are important to have and can fight that code of silence that can also be really destructive in families if, if you're not able to penetrate it. Mm-hmm. So one of the the hardest pieces of advice that I give in the business world is that if you need to talk about someone, if you need to share something about someone else, that you do it in a way that if they were to ever ask you about it, that you could be accountable to them. Mm-hmm. and. You could go so far as to imagine them hearing what you say to another person, or I think the softer version of that is you could say to yourself, how would I explain to them that it was important for me to to talk about this, to tell Mirabelle about her yeah. uncle Bruno for these reasons, <laughs> because she came and asked me and she wanted to know this and these were her concerns and there was time she knew X, Y, and Z. Don't worry, we didn't talk about A, B, and Q, C, R, and whatever T. it is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that, that you can own it. And that if you approach it with that spirit, I think it can make it a lot easier and it can make it easier to hold yourself accountable to that standard of integrity and sincerity that we talk about as being an important part of etiquette. So without getting into the particulars of what the gossip is, very generally, I was thinking about how we talk about things that are difficult, particularly when other people are involved. I think another thing that's important about gossip, and we talk about this in the 19th edition, and and we talk about it in the 20th edition, um, and we've certainly talked about it on the show before, is the idea that there is good gossip. You know, that the, the idea, gossip isn't only inherently bad, that sometimes that no. neighborhood grapevine or that family grapevine can really be used much more like a phone tree to spread the word, but not have one person doing it all across the board. And so one of the ways when you do find out news from someone is to ask them if it's okay to share this with others, should the topic come up. And that's a, it's a really good thing to, to sort of get your ducks in a row before the gossip starts and to find out if this is something that's willing to be shared or not. I was always really grateful for the friends who would say things like, you know, I'm really not telling a lot of people this or even though this sounds like using someone, I'm I'm using you as a place to vent this. Please don't talk about it with anybody else. I'm, you know, I'm not sharing this with our bigger group of friends or something like that. It was always really, really clear, but equally important were the times when someone would say, yes, and it's okay if you tell people this 
Um, yeah. We've told all the people we need to know. So if someone around the club asks, I can, you know, e- even within families, let's say some bigger shakeups are happening, something like a divorce or something, letting kids know what's okay to talk about and what what's not okay to talk about and some sample language for how to decline talking about it. I remember a, a divorce in our family and I was in a teenage years and someone came up to me at one of my tennis events and tried to kind of gossip with me about it. And I just said, listen, it's really not my place to talk about that. Like I'm, I'm here for a tennis match today. And it was really useful to have had my parents give me that language and say it's okay to decline a conversation from an adult about this. Yeah, It it helped quite a bit. So I think the idea of the gossip being bad, it's not necessarily the gossip. It's it's how and when you're choosing to share that gossip that can make it good or bad. You make a good point. Knowing when and what's appropriate to share can help you to honor true confidences and respect privacy. And that requires being able to navigate that line of, of, of sharing appropriately and enough. And then also knowing, like you say, when to bow out completely and to say, no, that's really not mine to share. Ultimately, your ability to identify delicate topics and potentially difficult topic areas and information is also part of the skill. So having some awareness as to how other people are presenting things, talking about things, feeling about things is an important part of developing the skill set of operating adeptly with gray area information. But as long as you're aware that it's potentially, and I don't want to call it controversial, but let's say delicate, I think that that can help you proceed with enough caution that even when there aren't clear right or wrong choices, when there's shades of gray choices, you're able to navigate them with some intelligence. Lizzie Post, I can't provide adorable children to sing. We don't talk about Bruno right now, but what I can do is offer to include a link in the show description. So we'll be sure to get that one out if anyone is interested. Well, cuz thank you so much for giving us a chance to explore a little bit about We Don't Talk About Bruno on the show. Now there's one more thing on Mrs. Hoover's instructions. Then can we go? Yes, then you can go. Here it is. Remember, girls... We have to do a lot of talking about people in this office. Because of this fact, everything talked about in this office must stay in this office. Okay? That's it for now. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Anonymous. Hi, I am a psychologist in an adult partial hospital program, which is a program that meets the needs of patients whose symptoms can't be managed in a regular outpatient setting, for example, one hour of therapy a week. The patients in our program see a therapist daily and are in therapy groups for about six hours each day, Monday through Friday. I work on a large team with other psychologists and psychiatrists. Each of us has our own caseload of individual clients who we see daily, as well as being assigned to one therapy group per day to facilitate. When one of my psychology coworkers calls out sickers on vacation, the other psychologists or I will cover for them by seeing their individual patients, running their groups, or substituting for them in various meetings or events. 
To me, covering for my colleagues is just part of the job that I don't question because of the nature of working in a partial hospital program. I expect to have busier days when more coworkers are out that day. I also expect that my coworkers recover for me when I need them to. To me, it all balances out in the end, and we just work together as a team. Recently, a coworker of mine had an unexpected family emergency and had to call out of work for five whole days. I ended up covering for him by substituting for him for an interview he was going to have with an applicant to our internship program. When he returned to work, he sent me a really nice thank you email. I thought his email was so thoughtful, kind, and well-worded. He greeted me and said, quote unquote, I am so thankful for your willingness to help cover my interviews last week. Your kindness and support offered me some needed reprieve during a difficult time. And then he signed it by saying deep gratitude. In my eyes, I was just doing my part as a good team member like we all do. But I really appreciated the thoughtfulness of his email and thought it was great etiquette. I will be sure to send a kind thank you email to any coworkers who cover for me in the future. A. Yes. Yes. I know. Yes. That's like good business etiquette, good coworker etiquette. There's a lot of good etiquette in there. I love it. The power <laughs> of a thank you note. It's um it's really awesome. Thank you for sharing anonymous. I I think that you are awesome. I think that what you, it sounds like your approach at work is um everything that I would want in a coworker and would appreciate in a coworker and I'm really glad that someone took the time to tell you. Thank you for sending us your salute. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something this week and who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us. Share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, or your etiquette salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. Find out more by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review on whichever platform you use. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine, who is likely now very sunburnt, and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd, who is up in the freezing cold. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget.